3: Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McKusick. We're here to talk another post-draft show today. I think this is really one of the most fun topics, is really analyzing the current Ravens roster and seeing who are the winners and losers from the draft picks that were chosen. Obviously, the Ravens invested very highly uh, in, in certain positions like safety and center, where they are certainly expecting, and by all discussion initially they'll have immediate starters of those positions so it's easy to identify some losers but not all uh joining me here for this talk though is jordan co jordan great to have you on again ken thanks for having me back always happy to be here with you buddy this is uh, we're going to we're going to talk for two hours right now. I have a feeling this time is going to fly by in terms of the uh, the discussion topics we have to talk about the offense and then the defensive side of the ball. Uh, but uh, first of all, tell me about you and Gabe went out to the draft. I hear. And yeah, we
4: were we were there for days two and three of the draft. Yeah, it was. I, it, I, yeah, you know, it was it was a first draft experience that I had. So, you know, I've never been to New York when they had it there. Never been to mm-hmm. kind of like the in-person draft situation. And so like. You know, it was fun. The energy was super high. I mean, they said that there was something like one point like six million people that had like came into Vegas, like that were like in and around the strip over that weekend. Um, so that was a ton of fun. And the energy was high. There were tons of fans everywhere. You could really feel the football energy. But man, technology has like ruined this whole thing. You know, I, I think that Gabe and I's experience was like we're sitting there, we've got our phones in one hand and and you're two, three, four, five picks ahead in some moments. Yes. Like mm-hmm. of what is public information? And that's not even announced, right? But like you're way ahead of like the information of what's happening live and in person. And so it's fun when they make the announcement, you can hear like cheers and boos and all that. But like, really, it's like it's like the behind the computer screen, behind the phone screen. Like, you know, in some ways, football has become the same way. It's so much fun to be live football games. There's so much that you get from watching a, a, on a TV screen now. Um, it, it's interesting. I, you know, yeah. I'd say that was an experience. It was a ton of fun, but we felt like we were behind the whole time.
3: <laughs> now, I, I just got to say to folks out there, if you watched our draft watch party, that was why we have to have the rules about not tipping picks because it's out there on the Internet. There's certain people, a guy from Miami, one of the beat reporters there is, is notorious for sending out these picks You know, two, three, four in advance, particularly once you get into day three. And they're often way behind in terms of this. Day two is bad, too, because they're a little quicker and They let themselves get behind. Then they have all these special guest idiots come on who, who take forever to make the picks like Marinero did. Yeah, right? that was crazy. <laughs> and she came so, right up on stage and like whispered in her, 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 her ear. Yeah. It was funny. He's getting the hook. And we, we were, were just watching that and didn't even have the sound on because we're talking to each other on, on, uh, on the pod and, uh, or, you know, on a live stream. And, and we see this happening. He's getting the hook from this, this woman who was announcing other picks. Yep. So, yeah, they're like, you, go, you go ask him I, I think she just got roped into it because she was the yeah. closest one <laughs> and, then, and then he made a clown show Out of that He's like oh well, they're, they're giving me the hook And then that takes an extra minute you know, so God, I think it was like God 2 enough. minutes and 37 seconds That like his story went on It was, it was crazy <laughs> Interminable well, you're, you know, I, I know your reputation is kind of a high roller in Las Vegas but We don't <laughs> need to talk about that do we I mean, I mean, we, I, I, I know how to work the system. You know, we're, we're okay. numbers guys, can. <laughs> good, good to hear. Good to hear. Get your, get you. He, he definitely is, uh, is quite the comp master, and I'm, I'm proud of you for that. Let me tell you. <laughs> but, but uh, let's let's get to some of the off the the offensive uh, side of the ball and the winners and losers in the draft. from that I think we'll just alternate uh, and we'll start with the bad news. The the people who've certainly lost ground from this draft. And uh, you you start with the first pick. Yeah, you know, so. Um, I think the first
4: guy I've got on here is Ben Powers. I I think that the depth that the Ravens bring to the offensive line now across the board, so adding – Getting the you know, getting the tackle and having a developmental guy there that's there at tackle that allows McCarey to be a guy that swings inside. Obviously Ben Cleveland having kind of priority in terms of mm-hmm. being a higher level and more recent draft pick and wanting to see him get developed. Linderbaum taking a center spot just away right right in the middle of all that. I think that, that powers was a guy that we heard a lot of rumblings before the draft of fans that might have wanted to see if he had any trade value on the way out. I see him as a guy that um, you know, also behind Tyree Phillips, or at least was behind Tyree Phillips whenever he's been healthy. In every other year, in years past, coming out of training camp, he's been behind Phillips. Um, is he ahead of him there now? I don't know. He struck me as the one guy that probably just—I I don't see—I I potentially don't
3: even see him being on the fifty-three when they break camp when it's all said and done. Oh, I think there's a pretty good probability of that. He's—he's—he had earned that escalator to take him to two point five four million in year four. I think this makes it a lot less likely that he'll stick. Uh, They'll they'll make every attempt to trade him. Uh, I would agree. I don't think Tyree Phillips future is secure here at this point. I mean, he's entering year three powers is entering year four. So Phillips has a little more option value down the road. But Phillips was on my list of losers as well as powers. Uh, He may be in a numbers game. And right now it looks like if, if everybody, if the health is maintained among the top four tackles, I don't see why you'd keep Phillips because I think he'd he'd be the last interior lineman if he made the team. And I just, I'm not convinced that will happen. If they have a UDFA that, that, you know, plays well, they may decide, you know, he's the guy they want more than Phillips on the, on the inside too. Yeah. I had him on my list here as well, but you know, the Ravens have always
4: for whatever reason liked him at guard Mm -hmm. and have never been able to plug him in there and leave him there and say, Hey, this is, you're going to be in this spot on the offensive line. This is, you know, you, you got to go win it. But this is your spot. We're not going to move you around. There's not going to be any necessity. This will be one of those instances where, you know, somebody breathes wrong, and Tyree Phillips was out of tackle historically. You know, and it was like, oh, we're going to play him at guard, and then all of a sudden, boom, right back at tackle. Boom, right back at tackle every time. Um, so I, you know, I, he was he was the last guy I had on my losers list, and I had to kind of think about it a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think that he's at, at real risk, but he does bring some versatility, and and so in that sense that if somebody does end up going down during camp that, that does have that either like a Macari or one of the big four in terms of tackle, or, you know, Jawan James is just not what they think that he was going to, you, know, you know, and who knows what he's going to be, but whatever exactly. the Ravens, you know, whatever the Ravens thought, or, you know, wh- whatever that looks like Stanley ends up on the pup and then doesn't ever make it back. Who knows? You know, Phillips is, is the first guy into that rotation back is of, of at least having that versatility that, that gives him a little bit of a leg up that some of these other guys like powers won't have. Right.
3: All right. Well, I'll, I'll continue on with another since I see you taking a drink there. But my next my next guy is Ben Cleveland. And, and uh, he's his spot is in no danger. I think we agree on that. He's, he's going to make the team as a second year player and a third round draft pick. Um, but he is in danger of losing his left guard spot to McCary. And I just I, I, I'm not sure what has to happen for all of the other players to play poorly enough that Ben Cleveland actually gets a job. I did think that about Ben Powers, by the way, because Powers played reasonably well at left guard, but he wasn't a disaster. And a lot of the other players who had played there had been pretty poor. Uh, anyway, with, with McCary, I think they need him for the backup center role. They probably, it would be a better use of McCary to have him on the sideline in bubble wrap than to try and be playing him at a guard where you risk having both of your centers injured. Or losing your backup tackle, wherever you want to end up using McCarry, I I would prefer the bubble trap treatment and the one for one uh, move in uh, treatment, because if they if they put McCarry at guard and they and they lose Linderbaum, then they've got to move McCarry and also put in a left guard. And then you've got you've got multiple changes that might have to occur.
4: Yeah, well, and I guess it's it's a virtue of one of those situations where if you aren't essentially guaranteed a starter spot, which is, you know, really realistically Stanley, Linderbaum, Zeitler, um, and, and Moses, really, or or James, like however you want to call that, right? Like if you're not one of those guys and you've got to, you're left amongst the whoever's fighting for that last spot, you're kind of a loser in that sense that, mm-hmm. that there's just going to be a dogfight for who ends up getting that role. And, you know, at this point, Makari signed for the money that he signed for, and there's not, you know, there's no, real, there's no real upside for him in the short term to, to necessarily have to play. Take your money, stay healthy, you know, take, oh. take the opportunity, right? You know, and, and there's no incentive, like you were saying, for the Ravens to, to force him in there. That being said, if he's the best left guard that the Ravens have to play, I, would, I personally wouldn't hesitate putting him out there on the field. The offensive line, to me, is the driving factor of success for this, this team next year period like offense defense like pick any position group I'll take offensive line over any of them and so to me it's like get the best five guys you can out there because you know that
3: that's when Lamar plays his best I I agree with your general thought that that you want the offensive line at the highest possible level I will say that uh, first of all I'm not convinced that McCarey is is better than than the other options they have at left guard he might be he might not be but if but if he were I'd still say you probably need a margin there it it, it probably has to be, you know, 6% better, or I don't think it's worth taking the additional injury risk. And they found that out with Phillips, you know, in it last year when they lost him in game one, they also lost Stanley after game one. So I just, you know, it can get ugly really quickly at some of these positions. And there are reasons for bubble wrap. The other guy that I think is not getting any love currently is Fa'alele because he could in, in my way of thinking, if he outplays Moses, in in uh in the preseason, I said, go ahead and stick him in there as the right tackle from day one. He'll get much more value uh developmentally from actually playing. Now it's not the Ravens' way to do that. They always make the rookie really earn it and they won't give him enough snaps to let him really earn it in the in the in camp. Uh, and he's a four. He's not a one like Linderbaum or like Hamilton, who's, who's pretty much guaranteed a very significant role to to, to start the thing off. But um, I, I don't have a problem putting Morgan Moses in bubble wrap. In fact, I think it's if, if he's your only guy who you really think could back up left tackle, I think it's the right call. I think he's yeah. got to be better than Falele to, to to make that worth it. Yeah,
4: I mean, I think your perspective on how the Ravens will approach this is probably correct in that there's almost no chance that Falele ends up being the starter from kind of like day one out of the gates. But I, I mean, I guess we'll ultimately see, but it, it is... I guess the, if all these guys are the losers, and I would agree that everyone that we've talked about in that sense really meaningfully is, you know, from like a roster spot or starter position, a loser, at least as fans. For, I, I feel so much better about the depth of the offensive line. We are yeah. winners yes. <laughs> overall. For having this, all
3: these, these losers, guys, we're <laughs> winners. <laughs> so, yes, but we That's were exactly not in a great <laughs>
4: last year, right? Because like last year it was very much like, okay, these are the five <laughs> starters. Let's hope they're all healthy. Let's hope we're all ready to go. There was like that turmoil around like what was going to happen with Orlando Brown. Like that all went down right before the draft. And then like there was no replacement and nothing else came in after that. So um,
3: I'm glad that we can be having this conversation. And (laughs) And, and, and a little bit of laughing about it. I have one other offensive lineman, uh, Tristan Cologne, Cologne, I believe, you know, he's entering year three now. So he's already kind of approaching the bubble if he's not on it directly. He's really only value is as a backup center that I can see no special value as a sixth offensive lineman. I frankly, If Ali does not take that role directly, there's a problem because he's he's just an immense problem for other defenses. If they stick him on the field, if they they even put him into the huddle, how do you react to that as a defensive coach? Do you you try and go one extra heavy or do you try and because you think he might be at fullback or or maybe he lines up a tight end? Do you have to treat that differently? Or if he goes in motion, does that change things? I mean, he's a he's a gadget guy in addition for the Ravens.
4: I mean, yeah. And you've got to go. He- I, I mean, if you don't go heavy and the Ravens bring him in, like they're just going to punish teams, you know, whether they're putting him in line, whether they're putting him in the backfield, it doesn't matter where he's going to be. I mean, that guy is, I mean, he's 385 pounds. I mean, he's yeah. massive. Yeah.
3: All right. So who else do you, who else do you have on the list here? You All right. So up. I've got a, I've got a gimme layup loser who uh, I, I
4: feel like it is Ben Mason. Uh, yes. <laughs> who is a guy that I like, I, I he's just not going to, there's no, there's no room for him. On the roster, which is why I say, you know, when the Ravens took two tight ends in the fourth round, there's no way they're keeping both of, not keeping both that, those guys on the roster. Um, you know. You know, Patrick Ricard isn't going anywhere. I just I just don't see a spot for Ben Mason on this team.
3: Yeah, I, I, uh, I'd i like to say that I really feel bad about that, but I don't. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I really feel like what he did to the Ravens last year was obviously the Ravens were not prepared for it. Uh, it was a stupid pick. It was still a lousy pick to take him in the fifth round instead of one of these other nose tackles or other spots they could have had, you know, later in this draft. But they did it. And I think they did it because they expected him to, to play ball with them and, in terms of where he could be for the year and then to have uh, – have him snagged away, obviously, was 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 kind of painful. Yeah, um, you know, it, it, he he certainly
4: didn't do anything to earn a earn any of that like favorite status there. If he's he's there mm-hmm. in the bubble, but there's probably a pretty decent chance he ends up on the practice squad because in this fullback lacking environment of the NFL, um, if he wanted to stick around this year, you know, maybe they'd offer him that courtesy.
3: <laughs> yeah, they they might do that, and and obviously, if there's an injury, he'll, he'll be a value to the Ravens. If uh, if if there's a specific injury. Um, Khalil McKenzie is another guy he's, he's on the offensive line On the defensive line But I'm including him in the offensive losers here Because I think that's where his value comes Is He's a guy that plays defensive line But can be listed as the 8th offensive lineman Because of his dual positionality That we haven't seen on the offensive side yet uh, I assume, by the way That they, they, they don't need any um, Approval from the league Or the players association Or any kind of Three judges in a gymnasium while they sit on a very small stool or something. You know that always happens in those college movies. <laughs> yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah. it's just a, it's the obvious the the, the trope, <laughs> but uh, but uh, whoever whoever they however they got that approved originally or whatever they had to do, he still has value just for that. And even though he's probably not as good as any of the other defensive linemen who are on the margin of the roster, he's kind of like both a winner and a loser in this because they, they really could stand to have a, a, a backup on that kind. It could also mean he goes to the practice squad.
4: Yeah. I, I, you know, I had him, I was thinking of him more on the defensive side of things, <laughs> but, um, you know, he, it, anytime you get that tweener and that ability to try and take advantage of, of whatever that looks like, that's always, you know, to me, that's always a plus whenever you can whenever you can screen some of that value out of there. But I, I actually had him on my loser list. I think that the, I'm really happy with the direction that the Ravens have kind of taken defensive line from the start of the end of the offseason. That's not this mm-hmm. podcast, but uh, I think I think his spot's
3: pretty suspect as well. All right. Who's your next guy? We can include special teams in this. Yeah. I, I, you know, so the next guy I've got is Nick Boyle, actually. Um, Ooh, didn't have him.
4: Yeah. So and, and not that I think, look, I've probably been um, more anti Nick Boyle's contract than the average fan. Um, I love Nick Boyle. I love the a- elements and what he brings to this team. I think he does it. Probably better than what a lot of players in the league do. But I felt like the Ravens did it backwards. And so I feel like you can have appreciation from this from from, as a math guy. They paid a guy that did something at the top end of the market that people didn't pay, like don't pay a lot of money for. So that you could find 80 percent the blocker for 30 percent the cost of Nick Boyle. Right. So you're paying him to be the very best at that. Right. And so some of are very real questions around like Kyle Hamilton and others. Right. Like this positional scarcity. But for the, the second tight end in a blocking scheme, when you're not asking him to do a lot of pass catching or running the seam or anything like that, there, and there are questions now of whether he's coming back or not from the injury. You've got two tight ends that you like. You now can run three tight end sets if you want to with those guys. If Nick Boyle is not 100 percent post June one and the Ravens don't feel like that they're going to get value out of him, it's possible that his, his spot on the
3: roster because of that could be a risk. It's, it's interesting. I don't know if they'll if they'll cut him, given that there's no savings for doing so. But you could be right that if they like somebody else better, then it wouldn't make sense to really keep him on the roster under those circumstances. It's literally a zero savings if they cut him. It's post post June one. I think they'll pick up like two million dollars. Okay, so post post June one, that's half of his salary or something that they can save, and, and yep. but but they they pick it up for this year and they lose it next year. So right, so like, are, it'll be two million, yeah. million this year, but they would lose two million next year. Yeah. I think they might need that money, and then that would be a, a, a reason to do it. That's, that's a good one, though. I'll, I'll stick with another tight end. Josh Oliver, I think it's a numbers game at tight end now. Uh, I believe he's entering year four now, if I recall correctly. i forgot to bring up the Ravens roster while we're doing this show, but yeah, there it is. I, I kind of uh, forgot he was still on the team. <laughs> yeah, yeah well that's, that's usually an indication. But yeah, he's entering year four. So he's already a cut risk just from that. And then obviously with two rookies, they're going to – have all of the developmental margin on their side or developmental uh, doubt on their side. Yeah. And you know, the la- the two other, well,
4: I had two other names on my list. Um, Tyson Williams seems like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Tyler Batty pick seemed like it was like, that's it. It's, it's done for Tyson, which just, I don't want to relive the the last season but that's very frustrating to me that if for as much as they bothered to keep him on the roster and not use him and keep him around but not find a package or not find a usage for what i thought was the highest talented running back that they had healthy last year to be put in a situation as long as everybody is healthy this year, that he's not going to be on the roster and he will most definitively be claimed by somebody else if
3: they waive him. Um, incredibly frustrating to me. Yeah. It's, it, it is very frustrating. I, I don't think there's a hundred percent chance he's gone. I, I do think I did have one on my loser list. I also have McCrary on that loser list, yep. but Tyson Williams is only at Beatty are the two speed guys who could still get to the outside. And we saw how thoroughly awful it was last year to have, you know, a couple of elder statement backs, elder statesman backs who, who couldn't get to the outside. Actually, really three, if you include Bell in that group, uh, who couldn't get to the outside, uh, not able to threaten the edge and really. Creating a cage around Lamar Jackson in some ways in terms of how he could help the team uh, because of because of that, uh, that weakness, so I think. I think they'd be foolish to let Tyson go. I, I think they will. They, they may have him on the, on the end of the roster, but I don't want to see last year happen again in terms of what he's doghoused for the year. Uh, he, they don't trust him from a fumble perspective, and they won't play him. That, that does nobody any good. So I'd rather he he be, uh, he'd be either traded or released uh, and, if, if that's going to be the way. And Justice Hill still on the roster, right? Still on the roster, but, but too much of a comp for Beatty to stay around, wouldn't we agree?
4: Yeah, I, well, I'd say the same thing for, I mean, I guess I would lump uh, I, Justice Hill, you know, and Tyson kind of together there, but at least, at least Justice Hill seemed like he was going to endure. And if it wouldn't have gotten hurt last year, probably would have gotten that chance that a lot of fans would have liked to to have him see. So I, you know, obviously last year of his contract versus Tyson having two more years of control, I guess, between the two of those, you'd want to choose Tyson. But, you know, if you're not going to play him,
3: you know, what good are two more years? I mean, Tyson has so much more than that in terms of being a power back. And Justice Hill never really showed anything as a receiver in his time here. I just – there's nothing – there's no – element that i could point to that, that that i would say i gotta have justice hill over over tyson at this point I, i'm not a justice hill fan either
4: i i actually think that he, he's wildly overrated by a majority of ravens fans who think think that like opportunity was the reason why he wasn't successful i think he got some cracks and some opportunity like more opportunities it felt like than tyson ever got during a single season yeah. um and did nothing with them when tyson other than you know uh, well, I guess from our perspective, a couple misassignments miss assignments and a couple fumbles, you know, but a lot more impact when he had the ball in his hands. You know, Tyson be the guy that I'd be taking or McCrary, quite frankly. Um, you know, McCrary could be that guy that could get to the outside, though, too. He, he's got yeah. that speed and he is he is quick. Um, Tyson gives you a lot more than him, though, like you were just saying.
3: I think McCrary lasts on the practice squad. I think he um he will not be taken there. Uh and and I you know honestly a lot of this depends on on how these guys come back from the injuries. If if obviously if they both come back at the start of the season and and they've they've had a lot of time, you know, it's been what it'll be 13 months for both of them by the time Open day, or approximately twelve. Yep. Call it twelve. Yep. Um, then you know you would think they'd be back, but you know the, the Ravens are the Ravens, and they might really try something sneaky, like say, "Look, we love you, Gus, but we'd rather have you come back at midseason, and we'll, uh, you know, we'll put you on a, we'll keep you on the pup list, and then and then bring you back then." So we'll see. We'll see how that something like that works. Do you, Do you know? Have they got? So what the IR
4: to return? like rules will be for this upcoming season. Is that going to be limited to three players again
3: this year, or is it going to be unlimited? Like it was last season. I I thought that that's continuing as in the same manner that, that the, uh, the unlimited IR return after three weeks continues. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big thing. The Ravens are going to always be better at, at dealing with that than other teams, we, we hope. Well, then I, I mean, I think I, I don't –
4: well, obviously, the schedule hasn't come out yet, so that would dictate potentially a lot. But I totally agree with you that you could see the kind of situation where the Ravens will use that. Well, I guess I guess the IR return will be different than the pup just as a quick differentiation here in that you have to roster them onto the 53 and Mm -hmm. then IR them to get them to be eligible for that. If it's the PUP, then you don't get to play in training camp at all, but then you would be, you would be able to use that spot to hide a player to like keep an open roster spot.
3: Yeah. And they've, the the, the way the Ravens have used either PUP or players coming back from half year suspensions uh, has been just masterful in terms of their uh, ability to get mid season replacements back. Yeah, so I, it almost seems like a lock then that Justice Hill will be on the pup to start
4: training to start training camp, huh? <laughs> J- Justice Hill? Yeah, I mean Justice Hill for sure, right? Like, like okay. if, if they're going to try and if if they were wanting to carry the extra, just keep him on the roster and have him available later in the season because they needed him to be, um, instead of having to cut him, why not, right? Like even if even if Edwards and and
3: Dobbins were both healthy. That's, that's a really interesting point. So I guess he would be a guy you could do it for. You do have to pay him. And, and it's not a rule of 51. So once the season starts, it's everybody's salary counts. So, all right. So now we got, I've got two other special teams players. Do you have anybody else? Uh, those were my only losers. No, that's fantastic. So we, we, we basically had the same guys, but you had Boyle additionally. Yeah, I, had that Boyle, I didn't yeah. Have. OK, so the first of my special teams, guys, I think is fairly obvious, is that Sam Cook, after a great career, is probably going to be asked to mentor the guy who is obviously the new punter. Uh, and Jordan Stout, uh, a lot to like in terms of what he's done in college. The one thing he really hasn't done is hold. I'm a big fan of him because he's got
4: a great name. So um, I, I fully support Jordan being a very
3: successful Justin NFL South. player. <laughs> so I, I should keep trying to call him Justin Sout. <laughs> just to piss you off in that regard. Sorry about that. <laughs> um,
4: no, I mean everything, you know, from what we've saw in terms of hang time placement, You know, like pinning, which is so important Mm -hmm. in terms of I think especially if the way you think about how the Ravens offense operates is that they 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 are going to pick up some yardage. Right. So like like having guys that are able to pin guys back like that um, has always been a priority for them. So, um, you know, look, Cook Cook has been amazing. And I think you you also see a little bit potentially of a drop off and maybe in some of those trick plays and Cook's ability to throw the ball as well. Um, So you lose that a little bit, but um, you know, it's hard to argue with that $2 million in salary space, but with
3: the, you know, the Ravens have some things left to do still in free agency. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously that's that's obviously a tight situation there. Um, My other guy uh, that that could be a loser out of this, maybe a lot of people won't think this, but Justin Tucker, um, he's losing a hall of fame holder, a guy who has always been perfect for him in terms of getting that ball, ready to boot through the uprights and uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I can't imagine Tucker goes into camp with anything but trepidation over what the next guy's going to bring. Yeah.
4: It would have been an area that I wouldn't have thought about. and And that's because that's an area where the Ravens really have always been really tight and kept it really well put together. And they've been a really well oiled machine. So it'll be, It'll be interesting to see. I wonder, you know, I wonder what the vetting process for the Ravens was like in that Mm -hmm. regard of trying to decide, you know, do we think that he can do this? Or, you know, is there somebody else on the roster already that we have that could be the holder if it's not going to be him? Um, You know, the Ravens can get, the Ravens have been from time to time creative about that kind of thing. And, you know, being willing to cut their long snapper um, because they didn't want to pay him the extra, what, like a couple hundred thousand dollars against the cap um, that they had to, um, you know, a few years ago says that they're, they're willing to kind of take some, Chances and risks in that regard. So it'll definitely be something to keep an eye on.
3: Yeah, it'd be interesting if they had you know a tight end or a safety or anything like that, who could who could hold? Would they or Huntley? They want to or, or Huntley. Yeah, there you go. But and hopefully so he'd be old. better at it than Romo. <laughs> yeah, he, he would uh, he would give them some options out of that position, probably in terms of of what you could do, at least. All right. Well, that's that's what I've got for losers on the offensive side. And we're going to we're going to a little bit later tonight and on a different show for, for you folks out there. We'll be talking about, uh, about uh, the defense. Uh, by the way, I do want to timestamp this episode and doing it in the middle doesn't help anybody, but I'm going to do it now. Anyway, we're, we're at 11 o'clock on May 8th we're recording this. So there may be changes by the time may have been signings by the time you, you listen to this. And then of course that might change these uh, things, but let's move over to the winner side. This is the good news. Who won out of the players who were drafted? All right. I'm going to go, I'm going to go a little
4: wild card here, potentially. And I'm going to say Lamar Jackson. Um, I talked a little bit earlier about offensive line improvement. I think that we see, we've seen huge, huge strides of tackle. Obviously we've heard about Ronnie Stanley's health, more than we heard about anything about Ronnie Stanley's health. At the same time last year, mm-hmm. um, the Ravens have four guys that could potentially be a tackle if need be, and we wouldn't be completely scared to death when we go into the start of the season. They upgraded at center, an area where they really needed to. You know, the value and all that is done now. Now we have a guy that has huge upside at center. He brings versatility and the ability to kind of be an in-space blocker. Adds the element of screening. Adds the ability to stretch the field. both sides in both directions in front of lamar a huge strength of his brings second level blockers a huge advantage to lamar jackson and has been a good pass blocker in his history in college now we don't know if that's going to translate or not yet but if it does and we get back to a ronnie stanley whoever put whoever you want at left guard i don't even care right linderbaum playing at the level that they drafted him for zeitler playing at the level he did last year and Moses playing at the level that he has in his, historically in his career that is setting up. I, I don't care if Greg Roman, I don't care who your offensive coordinator is in front of Lamar Jackson. You have set yourself up for significant or who your receivers are. You set yourself up for significant offensive success. If that's what we would have had last year, this easily would have been a playoff team with all the other injuries at all the other positions.
3: Um, and, and I don't even I, I, w- I wouldn't even hesitate to make that argument. I mean, all all you have to do really for that is put Ronnie Stanley back at left tackle and you're most of the way there, I think, in terms of of this team being fine. Uh, Okay, I think that's that's perfectly legitimate. And in particular, by the way, I love the dual pick of Linderbaum and Beatty. I think they they are a, a, you know, having a receiving running back who is elusive. You don't really need three guys out front of a screen pass all the time. If you get one guy out front of a screen pass who can make a block without getting a lungy or make a positional block where he keeps his feet, you know, you, you basically give that running back a chance to make one guy miss and he can get a make a really big play. And I think that's what that's what Beatty could be for this team. So I'm I'm, I'm very excited about that. And I think Linda Baum is a good match for him. The rest of their team is a bunch of elephants in terms of, of getting out there in space. I mean, Zeitler at this point in his career is not, doesn't have that sort of quickness. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, whoever the Ravens end up playing at left guard, if it's Phillips or if it's, uh, if it's Cleveland, uh, even if it's McCary, I, it's not going to be anyone who, has, who is particularly quick. Uh, so it's, it's, it's pretty much about getting one good level two, level three block. Yeah, well, and and screens going left with
4: Stanley and Linderbaum, and and a guy like Phillips is quicker than he lets on to be, and more athletic than than a lot of people I think think he is. Um, I mean, I, if you recall the play where he picked up the fumble and and took it, you know, fifteen sure. yards. Um, you know, and there's there's something there, but I think definitely to the right, whether it's Philele or Moses Zeidler, that there, there won't be a whole
3: lot going in that direction. Right. Well, it's it's uh, this. Just the way it goes. Sometimes I've got, I've got my first guy on my list is I'm going to take one. I don't think it's on a lot of people's list. I think Juwan James ended up being a winner. And and the reason why is that the Ravens didn't go out and get a top or even second tier tackle. You could call follow that, but I think that really um, they didn't get one of the top three. And, and, you know, there was still talk that, that one of them might fall into their lap, even at 14. And obviously they, they did have Hamilton fall into their lap. They they didn't go and pay the extra juice, although they had a chance to take Penning, even though he was clearly in a tier of his of his own, as far as I'm concerned, at the second tier of left tackles. And then after that, you know, there were some guys who were tremendously overdrafted that really made it impossible. Tyler Smith comes to mind uh, that made it possible for the Ravens to get a guy who, you know, who doesn't threaten Juwan James in year one in the way you think of it. And I think it, it is possible. James now uh, has a significant role this year. If there's an injury, perhaps it, it's probably unlikely, but it's not maybe impossible that Moses just doesn't look like himself at camp. And all of a sudden Juwan James is a starter from day one. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't be the, wouldn't be what I'm hoping for in any way. And I know it just said fully, Fale, follow could do that too. Uh somebody's got to, got to win that job, hopefully by playing well. Uh, Moses will probably not get enough snaps in actual games to lose it. Yeah. I, I think, I think I would agree with that. And I think, you know, everything that I've seen of
4: Morgan Moses and, you know, when he was with Washington was a guy that would seem like he'd fit in really well with this offensive offense overall. Um, but I mean, to James, for James, it all comes down to health. You know, if if he's healthy, I don't see how the Ravens don't find a spot for him on this roster. And so you know whether or not, however you want to kind of shake all that out that that definitely makes him a winner here. Let's just hope he's a healthy guy that's that's going to be you know an option that that's going to be able to contribute to this ravens team
3: so Juwan james is still the the Ravens will still save three million dollars by cutting him, which Correct. by the way is is hanging out there like a pretty freaking huge banana right now to the Baltimore Ravens in terms of it. Like a Carrot, right? Carrot, I guess, banana. Yeah. Either way, you know, whatever, whatever reward is given to to, to general managers for for making a hard cut. Uh, you know, he, he he certainly could be gone on that, but it's not obvious. And, and I think I think they do want to keep four offensive tackles. And I don't think they really consider Phillips in that group anymore. Yeah, no,
4: I, I agree with that. And hopefully, I, I mean, at the end of the day, I would rather have Juwan James be healthy. You have to play sporadic snaps or one or two times this year, play well when he does and go get a big contract somewhere else later, like do that whole, like, you know, have that opportunity. But that, that insurance, um, I think will make a lot of Ravens fans feel a lot more comfortable And mm-hmm. like,
3: Yeah. All right, so I, I I'm guessing there's some other offensive winners we probably agree on, but what, who's your next guy? Yeah,
4: so my next guy is Rashad Bateman. That's the that's the layup, right? Okay, sure. <laughs> I mean, he he essentially is going to get that Hollywood's role. He's going to be the the primary guy. I think the outside of Andrews that Lamar is going to look to. His opportunity is here. It's now. It's real. He needs to be healthy. He needs to continue to build his chemistry with Lamar. Um, but if he does, I, I mean, he's got to be. Whether the Ravens revert back to the full exceptionally heavy run game that they ran in 2019 or not, Rashad Bateman is, I think, in for a very big year and the kind of guy that, you know, if you're into fantasy football, is the kind of guy that's going to be in the value range where, where he's really going to add something to your team. Um, right. There's going to be a lot of focus on other guys, but I, I
3: think he's going to be the receiver that's going to get the most action for the Ravens this year. Completely agree. And, and I, I don't even really want to think about what would happen if Bateman is not healthy. Because that obviously, they're, they're, it's just not clear exactly what the Ravens would have to do. But uh, I, all of the wide receiver, and I, had, I have three other wide receivers on my list of winners here, actually four. Um, the first is James Prochet, because I think he is probably the most ready to step into a high target role right now. He's, he's shown the hands. He's had some six, seven, eight target games already. Uh, and, and it was sporadic at, at the early part of last year. I'd have to actually go back and look at, at targets by game, but but he had a couple where he caught, you know, six out of seven balls kind of thing. And so uh, I think he's ready. Uh, some of his uh, statistics, like many of the receivers, didn't really work out down the stretch in terms of yards per target in particular because they were having to scheme for the pocket awareness for Huntley to get the ball out very quickly. Uh, so anyway, it's it, – it, Lots of, lots of receivers, including Brown, it didn't work out for. Uh, but Prochet is the guy I think I would have the highest likelihood of taking a, a greatly increased role this year. I mean, I hope so. Right. I, I think there are a lot of fans,
4: including myself, um, you know, Jason from Huddle It Up Films. You know, I've been big fans of Prochet. I mean, he knows how to run a route really, really well. Mm-hmm. He has fantastic hands, really tough, competitive on 50-50 balls. He's smaller in terms of stature, but – you know, he he puts it all out there in, in that regard. And, and in some ways, he's kind of the inverse of Hollywood, where he's short field, quick twitch, tight route running, great hands where Hollywood is top end speed. Once he gets by you, he's going to burn you, but like less reliable in terms of hands. Great in terms of kind of top of the route separation. Um, so it's interesting to kind of see that differentiation. It'll be interesting to see if Prochet gets a role where he gets to get snaps on the outside. And and it'll be interesting to see if the Ravens can go back to or stay with that these type formations because even when you are the outside receiver, if everybody's bunched up inside the numbers, it doesn't really matter. Like you're not you're not a true X in that sense.
3: Yeah, I I, I agree with that totally. But you just mentioned something that's really important, and and it brought to mind a comment. Um, top of the route separation occurs. Not on every opportunity. Often, oftentimes there's too much pressure right off the snap, too much pressure earlier in a play for that top of the route separation to come into play. And whether it's you know some sort of a double move developing at the top of the route or, or even some sort of a, uh, a, a hard cut to the inside or a dig or whatever, it, it, it could be tougher for that to, that to become available as quickly. And it, I, that is a lot of James Prochet's game is being a wiggly guy at the top of the route who can run still a lot of different routes. I, I hope he's a guy who can who can really help with that so Lamar Jackson holds the ball for longer he does more with it, much better than Huntley in that regard, should be a big difference in terms of Prochet's productivity to be able to have him the time to, to make a move at the top of the route on most plays Yeah, well, and, and I, you know, I tweeted this
4: during the draft but in 2019, the Ravens, what, top four receivers, Brown, Boykin, Snead and Roberts had like a little bit more than 1,400 receiving yards total, right? We're talking about an MVP-level season for Lamar, right? Right. High-end point scoring for this Ravens team overall, 1,400. And, like, I was, like, 20-something, if I recall. Like, 1,400-ish yards for the the top four receivers for the Ravens. So we don't need Bateman and Prochet to put up, like, you know, 2,500 yards between the two of them, right? If the two of them can put up 1,600-plus yards, then this team is – I will have assumed gone a really long way and been somewhere
3: in the realm of 14 and three or better. Oh, if if they, if they are able to have that kind of yardage, yes, that would be, Jump off the high board, kind of happiness. Sorry, uh, I meant between the two of them. I made sixteen hundred. Oh, okay, okay, no, I got it. I, okay. And and, and <laughs> you're absolutely right because you're gonna you're gonna figure in a thousand another thousand from Andrews, right? And you're gonna figure in another six hundred from other tight ends because hey, yep. that's what they've got on this roster. You're already talking about about getting a Lamar of very close to four thousand yards, and if you have that kind of productivity split that's exactly what built that 19 offense was they didn't, didn't have a thousand yard rusher other than Lamar. They, they had a bunch of guys who just had a very modest amount of yards and they, and it still totaled up to the highest number of yards ever run by a foot team in the national football league. Yep. So uh, yeah, anyway, I, and, and we, didn't uh, men- we didn't mention go- Tylen
4: Wallace, but he's also in this group of receivers and, and he got some action at the end of last year. He was getting reps. I was surprised when he was, I mean, he was getting reps a little bit ahead of Prochet. So I think to, what that tells me is that, He could be the one guy that could potentially threaten. And I think he had like six targets and like, you know, maybe like 80 staffs or something. Um, But, you know, he could be a guy that ends up stacking in front of crochet on the roster because he can be
3: a little bit more of that outside type guy. And another guy, he's on my list as well. Uh, obvious ex receiver body, you know, so he could move over to that side. Um, definitely a guy who uh, will benefit from having Lamar Jackson instead of Tyler Huntley in the pocket in terms of the amount of time g- given. And even more, you know, will benefit from Lamar Jackson having old Lamar Jackson kind of time where where he he can really do a bunch of things. He can take off. He can he can he can uh, take three point four seconds on some plays or even longer. And uh, I, I Wallace will be one of the guys who really benefits from that because he he definitely needs time to get going and, uh, exciting player. And I think he, he, uh, he still could produce for the Ravens. Yeah. Who's your next guy. And then he was, he was on my list. So, so JK
4: Dobbins and Gus Edwards, I have kind of tied together here. And I think, I mean, for the same reasons that I thought Lamar was a winner, I think they're winners, you know, obviously getting a chance to come back from injury. Um, hopefully they come back fully healthy, but you know, I just, it's hard not to be excited about what the potential of this offense is, knowing that the offensive line is where that they've kind of reinvested and, and what, what chances and opportunities these guys are gonna get. There were just so many runs last year that we saw with a with a not great offensive line where you were like, if that was Dobbins or that was Edwards, like that would have right. been a touchdown or that would have been whatever, a first down or successful or a win. Um, and so I, I think that the two of them are really I, I mean They're really going to eat in this restructured offense. It's going to lean really hard back into just the overall structure and direction that they've taken this offense. There's no doubt in my mind that we're moving back towards something that looks more like 2019. It may not be as much of the option stuff and as much exposure of Lamar on the edge on some of those shots, Mm -hmm. but it is going to be run heavy and it is going to be Greg Roman run complicated. And these guys are going to – they're going to benefit. They're going to feast off of
3: it because of it. Yeah, I I agree. I think they'll they'll do very well. And, you know, a lot has been made of uh, Linderbaum not being a good power uh, guy. I kind of disagree. The Ravens help their center so much on power runs in terms of getting him a double team almost every single play. And he can be, you know. He can be the back guy on the double team, or he can be the guy who's climbing to level two on the double team. And either way, I think he'd be good enough. He'd be good enough on the back, and he'd be great being the climber. Let's put it that way. Uh, so, and, and there were just going to be all kinds of options. And and the 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 reason the Ravens are better at doing that than other teams is because they use their motion on the tight end or the fullback. So you see it's Ricard crossing the formation or it's Boyle crossing the formation and it gives them that extra heavy uh, to to throw into the middle of that line to create another double team win on the inside. And you don't really have to move that guy too much. You just have to hold him off and give the go code to the guy next to you so he can move up and make that extra block in level two. Create lots of level two opportunities for first contact and Dobbins and, and Edwards are going to feast on those. Yeah, I, 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 I'm really. I, I mean, we were, we were, we were robbed
4: as fans of, you know, a great year last year because the two of them both ended up getting hurt. I, I'm really excited the, the dynamic, the dynamic nature of their two different running styles, what they bring situationally, how that's going to the, the elements that that adds to this offense are just wildly exceptional. And, and I'm, you know, it might be May, but I'm really excited for it.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. It's good to be good to be uh, excited early. Now, let's see. I think you had Wallace. I'm going to go with my next one. I think Devin DuVernay will get an opportunity this year. And and honestly, I'm not convinced his opportunity is going to exactly be what the others is. And I, I, I think I would have it in the same one, two, three order we've named and Prochet, Wallace, DuVernay in terms of of opportunity, because I think they still kind of need DuVernay to be more of the gadget guy, more of the threatened uh, with jet motion sometimes, one edge, uh, so that they could they, they have various ways they can could, they could threaten the edge. But they have to do that on a regular basis. Uh, I guess one of the other questions I would have for you, because first of all, after you comment on DuVernay, is do the, Ravens, do the Ravens still have enough to threaten enough of the field with their passing game that they'll continue to spread defenses appropriately in a way that they can win?
4: Yeah, I mean, that I think that's the million-dollar question as we look at this upcoming year. And I'll comment on DuVernay first. I mean, I... I Devin DuVernay is a player I don't really understand because he has the skills and traits and talent that he should have done a lot more than he has up to this point in his career. He's for anybody that was critical of any of these receivers when we're talking pre-draft about not being able to track the ball. I think Devin DuVernay does that terribly in terms of like route, deep route running. Once the ball is in the air, like understanding kind of situationally with that stuff, his ability to read leverage is awful. Um, You know, on a team that has a whole bunch of guys that are really good at reading leverage. So it's like, you got to be able to learn this from like, like, like go ask these guys to teach you if you can't figure it out or figure out a way to coach it or don't run him on those plays Cause the end arounds. I mean, we've seen some that are successful, but they're, they're just so, you know, wildly hit or miss. So I, I don't know what to make of him. You know, he's got the talent um, and the pure athletic ability to be able to take it to the next level. It's just a question of, if they can figure out how to unlock it, then good riddance, you know, or good luck to defenses and, and, you know, defensive play callers. Cause then it's just going to be impossible to stop this team. Um, especially if you can get that kind of edge running from a, a wide receiver. But at the same time, the Ravens found a lot of that edge type success. Once Dobbins started to get that role two years ago, um, mm-hmm. you know, they can run that pony stuff. He can, he can be kind of that edge threat um, and was, um, and give you a little bit more strikeability in that regard. But going back to your, your second question about kind of whether or not they can spread these defenses, right? Cause like, that is what the, the formula, if there was anything that pundits or, Announcers or anybody were saying about this Ravens team is that it's just muddle, right? Like muddle rush on the edges to stop Lamar, funnel ev- all the defense into the middle of the field, and then take away those middle of the field options for, for Lamar. And he either can't get outside to make the throws or he can't process it fast enough, and you can get to it. You even saw some of that in the Miami game last year where the extra pressure, like there were guys that were in one-on-one situations where Lamar could have had really low risk throws to those guys and and they just weren't happening. So is that a coaching issue? Like how do they get through that? Like like do they have enough speed on some of the edges and can they do that around it? But you look at some of these guys that they drafted and, you know, Isaiah Likely, I'm a huge fan of his other than his name. I think it's going to be a bane to the existence of all of us that talk about players (laughs) – Verbally, um, having a name like likely or right about it, um, it it's going to I'm calling it now. But I think he's super athletic. He's got an ability to stretch the field, um, whether that's from a scene perspective um, or crossing the field perspective. I mean, that, that's what hopefully that's what the Ravens have been looking at of seeing whether they can find guys. And Lamar is really good at this. And, and Andrews is really good at this is running deep crossers and catching them. Like that's right. the way that you can stop this muddle stuff. Right. And you can do that out of these type formations. Right. A deep crosser doesn't have to start from the outside of the numbers to the right and go all the way to the left. It can
3: be an inline guy running from left to right as well. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that they had with Brown is that he, he was still exerting gravitational forces on the deep safety. So w- when they, they, they did run things and I, I think I've seen. Tweets from Brown just recently saying, oh, he was much more useful as a decoy back at in college. Basically, he was saying Uh, the Ravens used him that way. The Ravens used him that way in 2020 and 2019. Also, they got Andrews free a lot because Brown was taking the top off the defense and, and drawing a safety where Andrews wanted to go or where Andrews wanted to find space. And, I, you know, I, I'm not sure the Ravens have that guy right now on the roster. I don't think Bateman is really him. So the question is, it, it, can Wallace be that guy? Can I don't think it's Prochet either, or can Duvernay be the guy? So you know, you, we got we got to know you know that that there's there's somebody else who can take the top off and uh, and look. It's it's the one thing I'm a little concerned about. Obviously, coming out of 2019, the knock on the Ravens' offense, which is pretty freaking ridiculous when you have the fifth highest scoring offense of all time in terms of points per drive is that they they can't throw out the numbers. They can't threaten the whole field, blah, 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 blah. Well, I wouldn't deny that, that, that it was a limiting factor for that offense. And they were way better than good enough to overcome that during the regular season. And in one very unfortunate day in January, they were not good enough to overcome that uh, which, which ended their season. I, I, I don't know, that they can't win by that same formula if they if they went back to it in in uh, uh, 2022, and I really hate the people that'll tell you, yeah, you can win the regular season like that. You can't win the postseason. Uh, just keep talking, all right? Because yeah, you, you just you just told me you don't know what you're talking about because you know sample size obviously has to play into that, and and uh, it, it just didn't make any sense to me. So anyway.
4: I mean, it it was really – realistically, if you think about it, it was three games that they played in those scenarios, right? One of those games was the first one that they lost to Tennessee where literally everything went wrong, right? Like there were a couple – bad plays where Lamar fumbled the ball when he shouldn't have, but Andrews dropped the ball to turn it into an interception. Yep. Right. Like the fourth down conversions that were there, like like they just got stopped on some of those which were plays that they had been winning before that. Like everything else went wrong. The next year they came back and beat Tennessee again, who ran this like like that's the thing about this. Everyone's like, oh you can't win Against that kind of defense, except they came back the
3: very next year they did and didn't exactly get the that. exact same and, defense. And the like, biggest play of that game was exactly the formula, you know, that it won for them in 2019. Well, a little bit different because they played sidecar instead of pistol and they ran Lamar right up the middle, maybe. But it wasn't really different. <laughs> and, and then uh, the third
4: game was the game in Buffalo, which was completely altered by the we- 1000% weather, 1000% altered by the weather. Yeah. And then Lamar got hurt right on a passing play no less mm-hmm. right like not on a running play on a passing play when he was out of the pocket running for his life and got run down so
3: to me i i just find and, something... And it wasn't i me. mean it was the best snap too it was the it was so anyway so i don't think you can point to any of that being at the heart and soul of the of the ravens offense which is the point you're making yeah greg greg roman is on my list of winners um
4: good here because i think that this is i, I mean this is his, look you know whatever and i'm not a huge greg roman fan i think that if you were going to keep Greg Roman, this is what you needed to do. You need to say, look, Greg Roman is not a guy that's going to run a spread offense. He's not a guy that's going to make more space. He's going a guy that is going to run complex play action, complex running schemes. We're going to run three, four, five yards at a time. We're going to have third and shorts, fourth and shorts, and we're going to go and convert those, and we're going to burn teams out, and we're going to make them pay in that process. Give him the personnel to do that. Like If that's the guy that you want calling those plays, mm-hmm. give him the personnel that's going to let him do that. Hum-hmm. I have no problem with
3: that. Yeah. It, it, you know, what is really exciting about this year is the Ravens of 2009, they 19 had heavies this year. They got a whole new dimension of heavy to put on the field. If they want to put for or if they want to put two, two offensive tackles additionally on the field on, on uh, fourth down plays on, on th- what if they want to do it on third and three, how do you even react to that? I mean, you know, you you're, you're probably going to get burned by a pass. You get very heavy in terms of your defense. I mean, you, you got two downs to get it. If you're the Ravens, I mean, you, Get very creative with that kind of a kind of a look. You might even find a way to call two plays when you put in that heavy package that, hey, I'm going to run this once and then I'm going to run this. And, you know, unless we call you off the field, you're, all 11 of you are staying out there for this next play. Yeah, totally agree. All right. I got one more receiver who's a winner, although this guy, it could be any group of guys who are in the gigantic X receiver category. But my guy is Benjamin Victor. Uh, I thought a guy who uh last year was pretty close to getting some opportunities looked good in the preseason uh looked like a guy who who might honestly get a chance at a couple of different points here in the season but the Ravens had a very stacked receiving roster
4: yeah he he looked great in the preseason in some of those moments that that he got a chance so you know it'll be look anybody any anybody that plays wide receiver at and can play at the exposition <laughs> it like like they had a winning draft
3: um for the <laughs> team overall so Hard to disagree with that one. All right. Is that, is that it for you on offense? Yeah, that's it for me. All right. Outstanding stuff. I I love having this conversation with you for a lot of ways. It's animated. It's really good. The points are excellent. I love hearing it from you. And you had a lot of different ones than I had. So that was, that was really also very good. So uh, great, great having this discussion with you. Jordan, tell folks where they can talk football with you and then where your stuff is normally.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you, can, you guys can find us at filmstudybaltimore.com. I have a uh, a podcast that I co-host with Gabe Ferguson. Um, we, it's the Situation Room. We try and break down the games at the end of every, like, shortly after the game. We get that up on Sundays where we talk about the X's and O's and try and talk about some of the big plays and the impacts that I've had. You guys can find me on Twitter. I'm at Raven
3: Room and my co-host is at Gabe Fergie. All right. Outstanding stuff. And, and uh, both Gabe and Jordan, just fantastic people to talk football with. Make sure you interact with them to the degree you can on Twitter. Uh, they are a lot of fun. And, and you can obviously tell the, the, the kind of entertainment we're getting out of this conversation ourselves. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, please hit me up. This is the right time in the offseason. DMs are open on Twitter. Uh, if you've got an idea, I get a, about an idea a week. I'd love to get three or four ideas per week. If if you uh, if you guys were into that, please don't be shy. I want to talk to you. Love to do a show with you and get it out there. Uh, Jordan, thanks again for coming on. Love it, Ken. Always happy to be here. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.